Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Firm Foundation service where Pastor Eva Melton is our pastor. I am here to welcome you all this morning. I hope that you've had a blessed week, um, and I hope that you are blessed by the service. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for who you are in our lives. We're thankful for breath in our bodies, the ability to move and think freely, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you for protection. We thank you for grace and mercy. As we go and start a new week, Lord, we ask that you help us to delete all the stuff that happened last week that was not our best. Help us to start with a new foot forward to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, to be gentler and kinder to ourselves, to be patient with ourselves and with others. Help us to glorify your name in all that we do. We thank you and we welcome you into this space, into our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know about you all, but I'm glad to be here one more day, amen. Amen. Wherever you may be, if you're listening by phone or watching us live, feel free to join in with us. Amen. As we bless God on this morning. Hallelujah.
Church, I welcome you to our Sunday service. My name is Calvin Briggs, and the title of today's message is A Temple Fit for a King. Throughout the Bible, from Adam to Abraham, from Isaac to Jacob, from David to Solomon, from Nehemiah to Isaiah, and from John the Baptist to Jesus, God has created opportunities for relationship with his people. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 2, God had established a covenant with Abraham. God states, I am El Shaddai. Walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. But me, my covenant is with you, and you will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you, and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenants with you and your descendants. After you in every generation, as an enduring covenant 
I will be your God and your descendants' gods after you. I will give your descendants the land of Canaan and as an enduring possession. And I will be their God. God enters into an agreement, a covenant, a legally binding document with Abraham and promises him several things. God promises him, number one, he will be the father of many nations and kings. Number two, he will make him very fertile. Three, he will maintain this agreement with his descendants in every generation. And four, he will give them the land of Canaan as an enduring possession. And last, the most significant statement, God says, and he will be their God. But like every legal document, there's some conditions to a contract, to an agreement. There are two conditions in this agreement. The first, God clearly states, he must walk with God. Abraham must walk with God. And what does walk with God mean? It means to follow his laws, to follow his policies, to follow his agreements. Second, he must enforce those policies and laws. He told him he needs to be trustworthy. So two conditions that goes along with this covenant. We know that covenants are legal contracts. They're contracts established by God with his chosen people. When God establishes these contracts with his chosen people, they didn't just begin with Abraham. They didn't just begin with Moses. The first contract, the first agreement was established with Adam in the beginning. In Genesis, we began with a personal relationship with God, one free of intercessors, free of priests. In Genesis 3.8, it states that Adam and his wife heard the sound of the Lord the Lord God in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. They hid among the trees of the garden. You know, this statement really implies that God had walked with Adam and Eve on previous occasions. However, in this particular instance, there was a difference. Adam had broken his covenant with God by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by doing so, he fractured his relationship with God. The divine relationship that was established between Adam and God was now broken. God, however, establishes a new covenant with Abraham. And we see that after God establishes a covenant with Abraham, he reaffirms and strengthens it with Moses. God desires, among anything else, to be among his people, to guide them, 
to instruct them, to comfort them, to protect them. So he instructs Moses to construct a tabernacle. In Exodus 36, 8 through verse 39, the details and the specifications of the temple were given. They were razor sharp and precise. God instructed Moses to employ the best artisans, sculptors, painters, tailors, seamstress, engravers, architects, wood carvers, and goldsmiths. He wanted to complete all the furnishings, the artifacts of the temple. And after the tabernacle was built, God appointed Aaron and his sons as priests of the temple. Subsequently, God added the tribe of Levi to tend to the tabernacle and make sacrifices on behalf of the Hebrew people. God later explains why the Levites were chosen. I deeply encourage you to read Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers to gain a deeper understanding of the laws tied to uh, the tabernacle and that governed the tabernacle. The tabernacle became the primary dwelling place of God until King Solomon erected a permanent temple. The charge for building the temple was given to King Solomon, the son of King David, in spite of the fact that King David had a deep desire to build a permanent structure for God. God gave this distinction to King Solomon, and it is clearly outlined why he did so in Chronicles chapter 22, verse 8. I would encourage you to read it. The laws governing the coming, the coming and the going out into the tabernacle and the types of sacrifices offered in the tabernacle were numerous. Often, you know, as leaders, managers, leaders, workers, we often ask why. Why do we have so many rules? Why do we have so many laws within our organizations? And as a student of leadership and policy, and just as an average person working, uh, if you ever had a role in terms of leadership or management, it's pretty clear why policy and procedures are put in place. Policies and rules are only needed when you need to curb or end unwanted behaviors or activities. For example, if an employee is consistently work late to work, a manager may implement a three strikes and you're out policy to show up on time and if you don't show up on time after three tries, you may end up getting fired. This is done to curb or set an example for other employees not to follow in the same type of behavior. Another, another example, as an educator, we have to put policies in place to govern our students, to discourage bad behaviors, and to celebrate desired ones i.e. submitting assignments on time, turning in homework, in the wake of voter suppression here in the United States. We have to implement laws to protect our right to vote. 
the implementation of a federal law like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to discourage voter suppression and other activities and behaviors that limit access and inclusion of American citizens in the election process. In the case of our relationship with God, we went from a divine open relationship under a covenant with two major directives or laws outlined in Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 16. God commanded Adam, number one, tend and keep the garden. And number two, not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said that if you do, you shall surely die. Conversely, man could eat from any other tree in the garden. He had free reign in the garden and would have lived forever. However, in God's infinite wisdom, he had already planned for our salvation before the original sin. God provided us with a new policy, a new way for us to establish a personal relationship with him. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he was able to reconnect and reestablish a covenant with his chosen people. The blood of Jesus Christ renewed God's covenant with Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the prophets. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we are told to repent. Repent means to change the way we think. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's here. In John 14, 21, Whoever knows and obeys my commandments is the person that loves me. Those that love me will have my father's love and I too will love them and show myself. Jesus refers to himself, more specifically his body, as a temple. In John chapter 2, verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. So Jesus illustrates to us that the place, the brick and the mortar edifice constructed by Solomon is no longer the dwelling place of God. The resurrection of Jesus expands God's original covenants and provides through the blood of Jesus Christ a new and sanctified space for the Holy Spirit to dwell. However, just like the tabernacle in Solomon's temple, we must adhere to the policy and law which governs and keeps the temple acceptable to God. We must employ the same thoughtfulness and precision that Moses and Solomon used to erect and maintain the previous structures. In John 14, 15, Jesus states, 
If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. That helper, that helper is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see or know him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. The gift of the Holy Spirit has reestablished the opportunity for us to have a personal relationship with God. Jesus has interceded on our behalf and provided us with a comforter and the spirit of truth, the triune God. In order to receive God's Holy Spirit, we must prepare our temples. We must prepare our temples much in the same way that Moses had to prepare the tabernacle to receive God. The tabernacle had prepared, was prepared to God's specifications. Our temples have to be prepared in a similar way. One of the first ways we can prepare our body as a temple is that we must accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Number two, we must not harbor any unforgiveness in our hearts. We must release the hurt, the pain, and the suffering that others have caused or inflicted on us. And we also must release the guilt of the pain and suffering we've inflicted or caused others. Number three, we must meditate on God's word. We must meditate on his ordinances, his policies, we must model Jesus Christ. Number four, we must learn God's ways, understand his kingdom keys. Matthew 16, verse 19 clearly states, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth, I will bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The relationship that we seek with God is within our grasp. We must be intentional in our thoughts and in our actions, creating a temple acceptable for the Holy Spirit to enter, gaining a personal relationship with God, our Father. As I close, I encourage you to read God's word on your own. Seek out knowledge and guidance and commune with those who are of like mind and like thought. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Keep this book of laws always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything within it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Thank you for your time, and thank you for joining us here at the Firm Foundation. Go in peace. Well, hello, everybody. Today has been simply amazing. I continue to thank God for each of you and how you show up in the world every day. Make no doubt about it. God has been gracious to us, and I thank him for how he walks with us every single day. Now, will you join me? 
in our closing prayer. God, we thank you now for the grace that you extend to us. Even when we get weary, you always send us a second wind. Thank you for how you continue to nurture us individually as your children and collectively as the body of Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be vessels for you. We know that it is an honor and a privilege to live for you, to sing for you, to speak for you. God, we honor that right now, that honor and that privilege. And we thank you for never leaving us alone. Set apart is what we are. And God, it's not always easy, but you're always with us. We honor your presence in our lives. We know we are representatives of a kingdom that this world does not fully understand, but let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be a part of ushering in your kingdom, ushering in your ways, ushering in your glory. Use us, God, this day and every day. God, we love you. We affirm your holiness. We affirm that you are righteous. We affirm that you are strong. And we affirm that your ways are above our ways. And so therefore, we seek you each and every day of our lives. God, protect us as we leave this place. God, remind us of who you are, God. But I thank you, God, that we're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and as we leave this space. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide with each of you now and forevermore. And the people of God said, amen. Y'all have a great week. See you in Kids Zone at 12 o'clock noon. Bye-bye.